This is Sports Content Kings, talking to today's brightest minds in sports and entertainment. Welcome to Sports Content Kings, brought to you by WC Sports, a podcast dedicated to today's brightest minds in sports, figuring out the latest trends and technologies shaping the industry. I'm Aviv, co-founder of WC Sports and Chief Business Development Officer. I'm happy to be here with my brother, Shaka. I'm Shaka, VP Business Development at WC Sports, and we are the Arnon Brothers. And today we are joined by Dan Porter, the CEO and one of the founders of Overtime. This has been a great conversation. Very excited for you to hear it. Thanks for coming and hope you'll enjoy. How's it going? Aviv Arnon? Hi, Shaka. Back from a couple of weeks on the road. We're recording this mid-December, so I just came back from Qatar. It was a great visit, a great experience, uh, getting some of the atmosphere of the World Cup and an interesting destination. So first time there. So it was great. Uh, Aviv, today we have a terrific guest. We have Dan Porter with us from Overtime. How's it going? It's going great. Happy to be here. Thank you for joining us. Very excited for this conversation. I think there's so much to cover and so much to talk with you. I think it would be great if we can start with perhaps giving you the room to introduce yourself a little bit, a little bit of the rich history you have in the sports media industry, and we'll take it from there. Sounds good. I'm Dan Porter. I'm the CEO of Overtime. Overtime builds and creates disruptive sports IP that we put out there in the world on top of a massive community of 75 million followers across all of Overtime. I started the company in 2016 with Zach Wiener. Previously, I'd been head of digital for WME and IMG, and that's how I got interested into sports. And before that, I spent first 10 years of my career working in education. Actually, nothing related to any of this. And then I started and sold two technology startups, one a ticketing startup and one a game startup for about a quarter of a billion dollars. And that's kind of it. And so right now, over time is humming. We have our generalized community and audience, but we also launch a basketball league called Overtime Elite with six teams and a 30-some-odd game season live on Amazon Prime. It's based out of Atlanta, where our main venue is, and OT7 which is a football league and that plays in the spring and we're working on several more. Awesome. So just about the education piece, you were, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, a teacher in Northeast, right? I was a public school teacher in Brooklyn and then I was on the founding team of the Teach for America program. I don't know if we can tie this in right now or maybe later talk about this, but do you think that experience does have something to do with overtime and what you're doing and maybe your orientation to what you're doing there. Maybe we can close this loop later, but what do you think about that? We can start there. I would say that number one, obviously being a teacher is learning how to be good at explaining things and kind of taking a lot of information and making it easily digestible. And so that's always going to have an impact on your ability to be a leader. But I'd say second, You could say I started my career focused on an audience of 17 and 18-year-olds. And at this point in my career, 30-some-odd years later, I'm still focused on an audience of 17 to 18-year-olds. So a generalized comfort there. And I'd say also through all of our leagues that we launch, we focus a lot on athlete empowerment. 
we're looking to be a business and we're looking to make a product that our audience loves, but we're also looking to serve the athletes themselves, whether that's directly educating them, educating them about NIL, name, image, likeness, financial literacy, or anything else like that. So I feel very comfortable in that realm. And in general, through my career, I've been committed to the empowerment of young people. All right. I think it ties in well. It's interesting. You gave in the introduction a few pointers and numbers. I noticed you're saying 75 million followers already. Love to hear also like on the build, but since 2016 to this number is nothing but amazing. And actually the numbers I saw online were 50. So it means that recently there must have been a massive growth, right? So if you mentioned 75, can you tell us a bit about the trajectory of the company, let's say from 16 to now to 75 million followers? And maybe break it down for us and be more specific on what IP you gave a big overview, top line overview. Let's drill down to what you're doing, the league and everything. Sure. What is overtime and how did we get here? So in 2016, I left Endeavor because Working there, especially around IMG, I had direct exposure to a lot of sports leagues and teams that were spinning a narrative that still exists that this generation of viewers, some millennial, some Gen Z, just engage with sports content in a way that's really different. That's a kind of a shorthand for saying they weren't sitting and watching three hours of linear TV. Mm-hmm. And it was more than they were just watching highlights on Instagram. And so when you walk into that room and you walk out and everyone says, my gosh, I don't know how we're going to reach Gen Z or millennials. I start to think, well, in my day-to-day business, as I'm building the digital talent side of Endeavor, that's all who the audience is, right? I'm representing the 250 biggest YouTubers, Instagram stars, and that's who our audience is. Why couldn't we figure this out in sports? And so a bunch of us who were working together left Endeavor and we started Overtime. And the goal wasn't actually the product. The goal was the audience. The goal was how do we go out and win the hearts and minds of Gen Z and millennial sports fans? If you are listening to this and not watching this, I today am 56 years old and back then was 50 years old. So I can't say that I was one of the demo, although my co-founder Zach Wiener was in his 20s at that point and was closer. And ultimately, we've built an entire team that sits within that demo, and I kind of am behind the scenes supporting them. But we didn't necessarily have a product. We just had a goal, which was to get that audience. And in true startup fashion, we tried a bunch of things. We aggregated articles. We made an app. We tried to figure out whatever we were doing. And a couple of data points came together. Number one was that we ended up running around with iPhones and we always knew that the iPhone would be our camera. I had made a very popular iPhone game that had been downloaded 250 million times. And so I was very focused on the phone and the camera and can the phone take us places that a big camera can't take us? You know, how is the quality of that? How can we empower a broader range of people to be content creators for us? And we kind of honed in on basketball, partially because we started in the summer and there's a lot of summer basketball in New York, partially because we were looking for sports to tell a story about that didn't have rights attached to it, partially because basketball is a 10 month a year sport that doesn't get rained out. 
and has multiple games, and partially because basketball is kind of the home of culture and sports in the United States. Some of our most popular and kind of swaggiest and fashionable athletes tend to be basketball players. It's a close-up sport. You can see their faces. It's been very rooted in culture. And so we really just started filming and sharing and we put it on an app and we tried to go to high schools and we learned a couple of things off the bat. Number one is that there were 17, 18, 19 year old basketball players, whether they were playing in the streets, on a club team, on a high school, wherever they were playing, that were enormously popular and would generate a ton of views and were basically invisible to traditional media. So in all things, you're kind of looking for something that's bubbling up in culture, for a story that your traditional gatekeepers of culture aren't going to find. And of course, that's a story of hip hop music at some extent, many aspects of culture, fashion. There are things that young people are all about that old people have no clue. Sports and sports media in general is like 100% run by middle-aged white guys. And so all you have to do is not cover golf, country clubs, or expensive restaurants, and you're basically going to find the things that they don't look at. So that was number one. Number two was we kind of aggregated all this information. We put it on an app, and then we went on Instagram, and we were like, hey, you guys should download our app. And it became pretty clear early on that the audience was like, we just want to watch this on Instagram. And so we jettisoned the app, which was how we raised our first round of money, and we started focusing on social distribution. And the third thing was an understanding that the power of social distribution was really network-based distribution. I think people think of overtime as, quote unquote, an account, but we have over 50 accounts. And early on, we worked a lot with the players who also had distribution. So think about instead of the moon, think about all the stars in the sky. And they were all distribution points and discovery points for us. And I think the final thing was we understood, you know how you get the young audience? You tell stories about athletes that they relate to that are mostly in their demographic. And you tell it in a voice that is relevant to them. And we had no competition in a clear lane. Why? Because everybody in sports media only values professional sports and traditional sports. They don't really value the younger next generation. And everyone who's large in sports media already has a massive audience, which includes people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. And so they don't want to consume sports content that's written with a voice that appeals to a teenager or someone in their 20s. And in fact, they can't. Right. If I'm talking about what we're doing at overtime and I make a post, there's no way that a House of Highlights or an ESPN or a Sky Sports can go out and talk to their audience in the same language because their audience isn't that age. And their audience is kind of confused by that, whereas we're starting from scratch with a very narrow target of audience. And so that's really how we started. And as we started covering stars, LaMelo Ball, Zion Williamson, even Trevor Lawrence in football, we just started growing and we really focused on shareable content. And so to go from 2016 to now and gain tens of millions of followers without ever spending a single dollar on marketing means that you know how to take content and you know how to essentially get people to share it. And it's not an accident, obviously, that I made a game that had 50 million downloads in 50 days without ever spending a penny on marketing either. 
it's not viral marketing per se. I think that's a very generic clause. It's just a deep understanding of how do you reach an audience and how do you give them something that they feel is about them, that they want to share, that you don't have to ask them to share. And then when they share, the person they shared with comes in and says, I want to be a part of this too. And in that sense, the bigger you get, the bigger you get. So it was all the storytelling, the digital from them. So 2016, I don't know, there were six or seven of us. And today there's 300 people at the company. We have two sports leagues. We cover basketball, football, soccer, gaming, sneakers. We're actually the largest sneaker platform on TikTok. Most people don't even know that. And we distribute on every social platform and our games are on Amazon Prime and that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> That's awesome. One quick thing about your story. Yeah. How much of it was your own content creation versus like using also the community for the content itself? Like where they create, you know, was there user generated content? Because you need that narrative, that voice that you were talking about to do it all yourself doesn't seem sustainable or you can't catch every trend. And otherwise, like you probably let the community run with it, right? Yeah. So the dream is that it's community-based content because that's what investors want to hear because it's cheap and scalable. The reality is, is that 99% of people do not make good content. They don't know where to stand. They don't capture it. It's not high enough quality. And so we started with that dream and quickly realized it would be more effective for us to essentially control everything. So today, 80 to 90% of the content is made directly by us. We built our own content capture camera for the iPhone that has a number of special features, including ability to work in low latency environments, ability to hit the record button after the play happens and to go back in time so that you don't miss that. And we have over a thousand people in our network that we can pay $20, $25 to record a game. All that stuff gets uploaded and tagged to the cloud and we're able to post it instantly. And so early on, Even if we only had 100 people in our network, on any night, we could be in 30 states capturing stuff, looking for the great highlight. And that's one of the ways that we grew early on, is that nobody could understand how we had all of this footage. And they thought it was crowdsourced, but the crowdsource thing just doesn't work. In addition, when it's crowdsourced, what are they doing? They're texting it to you or otherwise. All of this essentially ran through our system, so it's all tagged. I can go back to a Nike Hoop Summit event in 2019 and search by player and find exact clips, you know, four years later in our whole system. And so early on, all the other sports media properties would direct message us and say, I don't know how you have this highlight, but can we pay you for it so we can distribute it as well? And our board at that time got very excited and they're like, you're going to be like the Getty images of highlights and you're going to charge all of them. And to me, I wanted to build a massive consumer brand like that analysis of what our business opportunity was just depressing to me. And so I told all of the partners, you can have it for free. You don't have to pay us. You just have to tag us. And we have a little watermark on the right hand side that says overtime. So all of a sudden, every sports media account was distributing our clips all over the Internet. And people kept seeing overtime, overtime, overtime everywhere. And we'd wake up and a week later, we'd gain a quarter of a million followers. And it took them months and months to realize that they thought they were getting a deal because they were getting free content. And what they were doing was actually building the core of our initial audience through distribution. Which may be a win-win, depends on who that is exactly. I think to them it was probably a lose because all of a sudden they looked around and we were gigantic and they had helped to make us gigantic without realizing it. I like the fact that you said that you didn't start with a product. You didn't start with 
hey, this is my gadget and how does it fit into this weirdly shaped hole? You started with the need, with a problem, if you will, and then pivoted as you go. I wouldn't say pivoted. I actually hate the word pivot. Pivot to me means you had an idea, it failed, and you change your business model. We didn't pivot, we just incrementally kept tweaking and tweaking and tweaking to deeply understand in partnership with our audience. We started out as a sports community. We're still a sports community. We didn't change our business model. We just learned and paid attention both to the data that was qualitative and quantitative. Yeah, I agree. Thanks for that. Nuance, very important. Right now, you're still only on social or you had something of your O&O platform that you're trying to create or where are you going from now? We distribute it in a number of different places on streaming, on social Aside from our basketball league, which has a website that has live stats and everything else like that, I've never tried to build an owned and operated. Mm -hmm. I think it's a mistake. I think that if there's 2 billion people on YouTube or Instagram or TikTok, like why do I not want to be in front of those people? And why do I want to take on video streaming when in fact they're great at video streaming? Like I want to be where people are. And I think there was a whole time period in our evolution where people thought that social was some trick that you use to get people to your own website. And I never bought into that. I thought that that was a huge mistake. The social platforms are great. They have thousands of engineers who work for every single one of those companies. And that's where we engage with our audience. You know, you don't reach Gen Z or millennial by making a website. Like nobody wakes up and wants to go to a website. They might go shopping there, but that's about it. And, you know, we have a shopping website as well. But ultimately, it was about figuring out where our audience was and going to reach them. And one of our advantages was all the people who were not smart were focused on O&O and they were desperately trying to drive people to a website that nobody was interested in while we continued to grow in all these other places. Because you know who likes websites? <laughs> Old people. Old people love websites. Yeah. And you know who likes websites? People who sit in front of a computer all day. Young people don't sit in front of a computer. They don't own a laptop. They have a phone. Yeah, they're on a phone or even an iPad. And those are not browser-driven properties. Yeah. Now, after all that, let me challenge you a little bit with the differentiation between what you're doing, which is basically generating value from something that was widely open and untapped. I'll call it youth sports, if you will, or let's say... It's not youth sports, though, really. Youth sports implies that we go out and we cover 30,000 high schools and 100,000 athletes, and we don't. Mm -hmm. We have no range of coverage. 99.9% .9 of young people who play sports will never be on overtime. Mm -hmm. What we do is we go out and we find the 20 coolest kids in America who play basketball, football, and other sports, and we tell their stories and put them in front of our audience. All right, cool. So again, this is something that was there untapped and you have generated value from it, made a huge something out of nothing, as opposed to, I'll say, the professional sports leagues that have a sunken investment in rights and everything. You know, they have all that operation going on and they need to see how they return the investment. So I want to hear your take on the difference between, as you said, the O&O for you is not even a consideration because... You can pull off what you want to do with the other platforms as opposed to someone who wants to put it behind a paywall or someone who wants to perhaps maximize the short term. Perhaps that's not a fair representation, but I am giving you a few leads to hold on to and take us from there. I mean, first and foremost, obviously, the major professional sports leagues are run by really, really smart people 
who have a ton of data and a lot of experience know what they're doing and have an incredible advantage in that people feel passionately about their teams, like exceptionally passionately. If you look at me, I'm in a group chat about the Philadelphia Eagles with people I went to high school with, and I graduated in 1984, which was a really long time ago, and that becomes a bonding agent. I would say traditionally, sports leagues obviously take their product and they sell it to a media distributor who essentially rents it for a period of five to 10 years and then tries to arbitrage value on top of that. Traditionally, that's worked well as linear television has fallen apart and sports are something like 92 out of 100 most watched shows on television. That's been beneficial. And now you have Amazon and Apple and lots of other streaming platforms in the United States that are interested in acquiring those rights, too, because there's something about a live game that's very exciting and very unknown. And the passion is built in. I think the question is, in 10 years, will the leagues be just owning everything directly versus renting it out to a third party? I think it's a hard thing to turn down the third party money. On the flip side, if you're a league and you are able to sell directly to your consumers, you capture all their data, their credit card data, their demographic data, and you're able to build a broader business. I think you see the beginning of that, NBA League Pass, NFL Plus, those are not accidental in some ways. And for us too, like our distribution deal for Overtime Elite, our basketball league, is with Amazon Prime. So you, there are a third of the games that you can only watch on Amazon Prime, which is an extremely high-end and fun experience. And there's a bunch of the games that you can watch live on YouTube that are elsewhere. But I would say also when we started, our goal was really to think about sports and live sports you know, when we started Overtime Elite, almost like as a triangle with three points. One point is the live game, and that's where most sports stop. That's the main thing they're interested in, and that's not their fault. That's just everyone said that's what the value is. The second aspect of value is the non-scripted series, right? So we see Drive to Survive for Formula One, Hard Knocks for football. There's many examples. I think we are the only, if not maybe one of the first, where our non-scripted series and our live games are both on the same platform. Mm -hmm. And so when we do a rights deal with Amazon, we're focused on the whole triangle. Number one, the live game. Number two, the non-scripted series, which means that maybe somebody's just going to watch the non-scripted series and never watch the live game, or maybe that widens the top of the funnel and it comes across. And number three is social distribution. Like we are still distributing highlights and stories about the game and everything else like that. So when we look at owning a basketball product where people run up and down 94 feet of hardwood, we're looking at executing on all three of those. We're looking at sponsorship activations that touch all three of those. And we're looking that every single one of those is a top of the funnel for the consumer, whether they discover us on TikTok, whether they discover us because they're watching a series about a bunch of young athletes, or whether they discover us because they're watching live play. There are all ways that we want to bring people into our universe. Is that a fair uh, representation if I'll say that you're telling stories, narratives about people about athletes and the basketball game is one of the narratives and there are other narratives non-scripted following their daily routine whatever it is that you're tapping into to tell uh, human stories for great athletes right look it's hard to be a sports fan where you don't know a single player on the team and you don't yeah. really care and there are no stories 
the best sports fan experience anyone can tell you is watching their own kid play because you don't even watch anyone else on the field. Like that's your kid and you're so focused on watching them and you love them. And it's true for the Olympics. It, no, it, it's not true. You're busy watching your kid and yelling at the coach. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's or your, or your kid. Yeah. Or yeah, your or, kid uh, as yeah, well. Three things, you're right. <laughs> but I mean, you think about even all of the World Cup marketing and it's Messi in Argentina. You've got to locate it in individuals and people. And somebody's got to turn on and watch our game because they understand the stories of the players who are in that game. And the stories are wide ranging. The stories could be, this is the son of a former professional basketball player. The story could be, this is somebody who's going to play in the NBA or at Kentucky next year. The story could be, this is somebody who's overcome a massive amount of hardship or anything else like that. I think traditionally the Olympics have done a really good job in the last 15 to 20 years, especially in the United States, because I don't know anybody who swims or speed skates or does any of those sports, but they have a lot of airtime and they go and they sit in their house and they tell the story. And all of a sudden you're like, that's my guy or that's my girl. And now you care about them and you're watching them. And that's what we're trying to do as well. And I think that's the biggest challenge that up and coming sports leagues have or new sports leagues is that they take football or basketball or soccer or some other sport and they're like, here it is again at a different time of the year and you have no idea who's playing in that or why you're supposed to care about them. There is no love of a sport that is so abstract. I can't watch a World Cup game between two teams that I've never heard of if I don't know anything about the country, the player, the story, even which group of four they're in or anything else like that. Let me ask you this. Then you went on and built your own leagues then. Does that complement what you're saying? Or it is a bit of a different focus, I would say. It's a different effort. Yeah, I built my own leagues because I knew that I had already built a massive machine that could tell those stories. I had distribution, right? The challenge that a new sports leagues has is on day one. So let's say you're going to launch a pickleball league. On day one, you have zero followers, On day one, nobody knows who your athletes are. So not only are you lacking the ability to tell the stories of the athletes, you don't have anyone to tell the stories to. Whereas 99% of the people who follow our sports leagues started out as overtime fans. We have a massive platform and our brand is about telling you who this person is and why you should care about them. It's a question that we get asked a lot of times as we work with our partners to create highlights at scale that they ask us, okay, you're bringing highlights and does it cannibalize the live game? And basically the answer is obviously not if you tell the stories correctly. Highlights can serve you to tell stories, to create that connection with the fans, to have different narratives about players who, again, as you said, if the players are a blank slate, if you don't have the drama behind the game, then you can't resonate with what's going on on the pitch. You, you're not enjoying yourself as much. So the highlights or what we're doing actually is similar in a different spin to what you're doing, basically allowing our partners to rate all those different narratives to connect with more and more fans. And when you follow the sport, you follow the league, it doesn't mean that you've been watching every full match uh, of the sport, but you follow, you want to catch up on everything around it. The American leagues are being followed all over the world in different time zones means people are catching up to the stories around it and the narrative and the highlights and seeing the best moments. Yeah, it sustains interest in it. I mean, I think about pay-per-view sports that you can only watch behind a paywall and that sometimes there's limited highlights about. And it's great because if you're really passionate, it drives you to 
have a high value to that lead because you're going to pay $99. But other people just say, I can't find anything about it. I can't really see it. And so I'm just not going to pay attention. I love the World Cup, and we're obviously recording this during the World Cup. But if it cost $1,000 to watch the World Cup and there were no highlights anywhere, I just wouldn't follow it. Like people are passionate, but they also have their points at which they just become disengaged. And your goal is not only to engage them, but to sustain that engagement. And if you look at kind of what the NFL and to some extent the NBA have done, they've created value around the draft. They've created value around the preseason, around the summer, because in this world, you have to stay front and center to people for 12 months a year because there's so much competition for your attention from streaming, from video games, from social, from mobile games, from any other aspect of ways that people can spend their time. Agreed, and uh, I think here's a hypothesis that I didn't check the data about, but pay-per-view, as you mentioned, I imagine there's a pretty distinct correlation between those who buy the pay-per-view and those who watch the press conference just before the pay-per-view, or maybe the lead up to the pay-per-view if it's fights. They saw the documentaries that lead you towards the fight. I imagine there's a huge correlation there. I don't have the data in front of me. I wanted to ask two more things. First, you mentioned NIL, name and image likeness, and helping the athletes. So can you tell us a bit about what you do in that realm? For sure. NIL is a huge game changer in empowering the athletes to obviously make money from their own name and their own image. When you say it like that, it's almost absurd that that was not legal previously, that you didn't own your own face. It's been hugely beneficial for us in two ways. Number one is that we traditionally tell stories, make podcasts, shoot videos with high school and college athletes. And now we can compensate them for that legally. In addition, we do all kinds of apparel collabs with men and women athletes. They're in the photo shoot, they design. So we can go to a super popular women's basketball player and we can design a hoodie together and she can actually make money from it and we can make money from it too. And then for Overtime Elite, for our league, we empower the players to come and get their own name, image, likeness deals as well so that they can make money. And what we do, to help them is we give them a really big platform. We give them a ton of exposure, we help them grow their social and so forth. And the last thing I'll say is that it's also beneficial because there are a number of athletes who may make the most money they ever make in college. Either they play a sport that doesn't have a lucrative professional career or they play a sport where they're so good in college but they might not make it as a pro and it gives them a huge chance to earn. If you look in college basketball, Drew Timmy chose to stay at Gonzaga for his senior year instead of go to the NBA, and he will actually make more money at Gonzaga. And that's locked in money that he is making for helping a college that he is passionate about. And, you know, he might become a great NBA player. He might not make the NBA or only make it for a year or two. And so giving people an opportunity to monetize their labor, which is, again, crazy to say, because if you're 17 and you make music or if you're the star of Stranger Things or anything else like that, you get paid. So it's just arbitrary. You couldn't get paid, you know, being an athlete. It's weird that an athlete could not get paid playing basketball, but yet could get paid working in McDonald's. I think it's a huge game changer. And I think we're going to continue to see changes in that space that empower young people to 
earn a living just like their peers do. Agreed. Yeah, it's an exciting prospect, man. Only the beginning in that realm. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to ask you, noticed you had a relatively big funding round recently. What should we expect in the, in the near future? And what can you tell us about that round? This was an interesting year. This year, WC also had a big funding round, but the environment now is different. And there's only uh, so many companies that were able to raise this environment. So it's a really interesting time and story to hear from you what, what's expected. I appreciate it. It was not easy to raise money in 2022. Previously, it was both easy and not easy because you had a lot of smoke and mirrors companies that were in certain trendy areas that people would write giant checks for. And you were going to be told, well, only if you did an app that had live audio or, you know, you did Web3 or whatever, could you get billion dollar valuations? And we said, well, we're kind of boring. We run sports leagues and have people watch them. And ultimately, it kind of swung around that there was value there. I mean, we have real revenues. We have a massive audience. And, you know, we have 91% name recognition for any sports fan in North America that's under 25 years old. So that's real traction. I think we were blessed, especially to have Morgan Stanley and Liberty Media lead our round, both smart folks and obviously Liberty owns Formula One and the Atlanta Braves. And I think what's next for us really is, I would argue that we're among the first ever to essentially go from building an audience and then building a sports league on top of it. I think to me, it seems like a natural evolution, but I get when I talk to people outside, they're like, you're an Instagram account. How do you run a sports league? And the reality is, is that sports media is also an arbitrage business. You talk about someone else's product and you try to squeeze value out of it, but all that you're really doing is enhancing the value of someone else's intellectual property. And I think the more that we covered college or professional sports, the more we saw that we were bringing audience to those people free of charge. And we were like, why don't we bring an audience to our own product? I think we were ambitious. We were lucky in that there was a point in time where a lot of things happened at the same time in basketball. You had athlete empowerment. You had in the United States a kind of post-George Floyd environment where it became clear that a lot of the athletes were black and a lot of the people around them were not. And there was an unequal distribution, especially below the professional level of income and revenues. You had basketball players like LaMelo Ball choosing not to go to college and go to play in Australia. And so if you learn anything in business, you learn occasionally there are these kind of rips in the fabric of time, these opportunities. And if you can time it right and take advantage of it, you can be successful. And I think in the academic study of entrepreneurship and startups, they attribute something like 40% of the success of startup to timing. I think if we had tried to do what we're trying to do now, five years ago, we probably would not have been successful, but we were in the right place at the right time. And we wanted to own and talk about our own league. And we wanted to be in the live rights business and the derivative IP business and so forth. So what does all that money go for? It goes for the opportunity to do this in basketball, to do this in football, and to do this in a couple of other sports so that it over time becomes a creator of essentially disruptive IP that we designed to appeal directly to our audience. Great. Uh, ambition, luck and timing, and then maybe a little bit of talent. 
and comes together. Yes, we don't suffer for lack of ambition. We're out for nothing less than world domination, to be honest. <laughs> also to crush our enemies as well. Good. All right. Good plan. That is a good way to end an episode. <laughs> Just final word. Where do people follow you, follow Overtime? For sure. If you want to follow me and hear boring propaganda about Overtime my company, I'm T-F-A-D-P on Twitter and Instagram. For Overtime, it's at Overtime on every single platform. And if you love basketball, we're O-T-E or at O-T-E on most platforms. That's our basketball league and our football league is O-T-7, which is You can search her at OT7 on most platforms. And that's Twitter, Instagram, Snap, TikTok, everywhere that people want to consume media, we're there. And if you are an Amazon Prime Video subscriber and you have Amazon Prime, you can watch us on Amazon Prime Video on Friday nights. That's a wrap. Dan Porter, thank you so much for sharing the time, sharing the knowledge and great story of Overtime with us. To be continued. It's been a pleasure. Great to finally meet face to face next time in person. Awesome. All right, Aviv, quite a story, huh? Yeah, we had a lot of insights. It's impressive to see how well Dan has been exposed to all the trends here and being really able to articulate what works. So uh, I learned a lot. It's always impressive to see how clear vision and being able to filter out clutter, how that really helps the operational and execution piece to really go smoothly. And, you know, I'm saying go, going smoothly, I'm sure, over time. I had to work hard for what they achieved, but basically the clear vision and being able to tell the board and the investors, look, we're not doing X, we're doing Y. That's uh, such a key part of every company that wants to succeed to know what you want to achieve or at least aim high and then you achieve great things. It's not easy at all like to have that conviction, knowing what you're building and what you're trying to get at the early stages of your startup. I think we heard from Dan also, he had a lot of experience coming into this. He knew what he's going for, and this is really impressive. So I, I love the conversation, and I'm looking forward to potentially collaborate in the future because there's a lot to do there. Yeah, and they're just getting started, and we're also doing stuff that's really adjacent, and it's going to be exciting to see where this is going. And we'll hear of Dan Porter again. Hopefully, we will catch up in a few months' time to see where things are. It's really exciting to see. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review or share the show with a friend. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please do so now so that you never miss an episode. We're your hosts. I'm Shaka. And I'm Aviv. We're the Arnon Brothers. And this has been Sports Content Kings by WC Sport. Thank you all for joining and looking forward to seeing you here again. Thank you.